Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 128 of Just the Zoo of Us. On this week's episode, I got to talk with a conservation biologist about the little furry critters tunneling through the grasslands, ground squirrels. We talk about the hazards of field work, sleeping your problems away, the science of splooting, jujitsu matches, tippy taps, and furry little neighborhood watch programs. It is a wild ride through the hidden world of these burrowing rodents. Just the Zoo of Us presents Ground Squirrels with Stephanie Martinez. Everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here as usual with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, I'm excited, and I know y'all are excited, to talk to our friend Stephanie Martinez. Say hi, Stephanie. Hello! I'm so hyped to talk to you because we've been buds on social media for a while, so it's really exciting to get to see your face. <laughs> yeah, <for real. laughs> And today we're talking about ground squirrels, which is really neat because I think that if you live in the type of area that I live in, which is kind of like a suburban area, you might not even realize that there are multiple types of squirrels. Do you run into this a lot where people are like, oh, there's more than one squirrel? Oh, yeah. Well, like there's several times where people are like, what's a ground squirrel? And it's just like, oh, no, I have so much to talk to you about. <laughs> sit down, sit down. <laughs> I know, it's like, you're going to love this. <laughs> so we're going to do a deep dive into the world of ground squirrels today. Before we do that, let's get to know you a little bit. What has your squirrel journey been like? Like, how did you get into working with and being interested in squirrels? Oh, man, my squirrel story. So <laughs> let's see here. I always knew that I wanted to do something with animals, wildlife. You know, when my parents discovered, oh, our child really likes animals, you know, they started getting me into like stuff like a uh, zoo camp. I, my parents always got me, you know, books. I had those, um, those zoo, those zoo magazines. Zoo books. Yes. 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 <laughs> and the commercials worked. <laughs> Yes. I mean, just when I started getting older, you know, I started really realizing that I liked birds. And in college, I really wanted to possibly like enter the world of, of birds. However, <laughs> that's when I met my uh, undergraduate advisor, um, Dr. Lee at Abilene Christian University. Um, he's a mammalogist. He focuses on a lot of tropical mammals, especially rodents. Bats, too. When I was in my undergraduate, uh, we ended up writing a note on Mexican free-tail bats roosting in a parking garage. And the reason why we wrote that note is because we started observing predator-prey behavior between the Mexican free-tail bats and merlins, which are a bird of prey. Oh. And yeah, and so we were able to get some great footage of, you know, especially how, like, effective Mexican free-tails are on flight. They're extremely fast. They have these long wings, you know, that allow them to maneuver in the air, you know, a lot better than a merlin. And so really looking into it, it's, wow, you know, while we do see birds of prey, you know, indeed capture bats, that success rate can be really low. Even in caves like 
Bracken Cave, for example. So that's a maternity colony just outside San Antonio, Texas. You know, millions of bats come out in this, what's known as like a tornado, a whirlwind. If you ever see a bat emergence, you'll see, you know, diurnal predators try to take advantage of that last bit of light and they're going back and forth. And some of them get bats and some of them don't. But anyways, working with Dr. Lee really fostered this love for rodents in general. I ended up moving on into my grad program. I went to Angela State University in San Angelo, Texas. I did do my master's work on Mexican free tails, urban roosting bats. And later on, after graduating, I went back to Abilene and ended up working for Dr. Lee with his natural history collection. I um, helped prepare a lot of rodents for that museum. When you say prepare, you mean like in jars and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So skinning. So preparing specimens is similar to taxidermy, but not really. So basically what we're doing is we're skinning the animal, the skin, the pelt, and then taking out, I guess, the fleshy bits. So anything Mm. that's organic. The skin is cleaned out, all the fat, oils, anything like that, like the eyes, the brain, tongue, everything comes out. The gushy parts. Yeah. Stuffed with cotton and wires and positioned in a way where the entire animal is flat. So you have your legs sticking out in the front, legs sticking out in the back, tail is is straight. And then in that way, they can be organized in shelves that pull out in natural history collections. So specimens are incredibly important and incredibly valuable in recording our life history. Recording, you know, diversity loss, especially. You can find recently extinct animals in collections like the Field Museum in Chicago. If prepared properly and then well-maintained and well-taken care of, specimens can last generations, years. Mm did that for a spell. And then now I am with my current position. I work for the state of Texas as a conservation biologist. I work very closely with different field offices for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So what I do today mostly is I help um, these field offices write important documents that help decision makers make decisions regarding our endangered species. So that's the Endangered Species Act. There's a lot that goes into it. It's a very complicated, delicate, multi-layer web. I do geospatial analysis. It's a fun field. I learn a lot. I work with some pretty incredible people that have some pretty amazing experiences. And, you know, I feel like what I do is meaningful and valuable. As for dipping further into the squirrel story... So while I am a desk biologist, I do occasionally do seasonal field work. And um, one of the things that we at our state of employment do is we are contracted out for private landowners, uh, DOD working lands. We can help these landowners uh, solve problems. And so the project I was working on, myself and in a handful of other people in the office that I work for, we were requested to kind of scope out some private lands and see, okay, we're having some uh, issues here with predators, uh, particularly birds of prey. We need to know what's up. So <laughs> we get out there and it's beautiful habitat for a species known as the Rio Grande ground squirrel. They're everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, oh, your land is is supplying beautiful habitat for this prey species. 
I mean, no wonder you have so much activity here. Right, it's like a buffet. Oh, yeah. We conducted our fieldwork seasonally, so I, we went out once a season. And what I did, this was a method uh, done by our research crew. Um, so I just adapted these methods, and I pointed a game camera, elevated it and pointed it down, and put down three different bait piles. One bait pile was seed, another bait pile was like fruits, and then another bait pile was cat food, like wet cat food. Oh, sure. And I put these cameras within areas of large density burrows, and I would capture footage of ground squirrels coming to the bait piles. And as I expected, and as it's been explained in literature, you know, their diet very seasonally. So I was able to get footage of it because the goal is the ground squirrels need to be removed and then the habitat then needed to be addressed. And so it, basically my part of the deal was, okay, well, in this season, the ground squirrels are going after this bait. And during this season, the ground squirrels are going after this bait. And so hopefully, you know, kind of helping the landowners and those that work on that land be able to know how to most effectively trap the squirrels. And I also gave them information like, okay, during this period is when they're mating. During this period, they have babies in the burrows. They kind of help them, you know, if you want to be humane about it, you know, you know, making sure you're not having babies in the burrow, you know, when you're removing the adult. Part of that project too, and this was kind of for my own like personal interest as a biologist, and also to give clear information for exactly what they're looking for, is I was looking at burrow dynamics. And so kind of getting like a general idea of when you're looking for ground squirrel burrows, you know, this is what you look for. You know, different animals have different looking burrows. And I was measuring like the diameter of each burrow. I was measuring the angle in which it was going into the ground. You know, how many burrows are within a certain radius. Hey there, I'm just here to give you a quick heads up that during the following portion of our conversation, Stephanie shares an experience from her field work that includes a serious injury that involves hospitalization, surgery, and amputation. So if that's not something you'd like to hear right now, please fast forward about seven minutes. During this past field trip, so in early 2020, you know, that spring, our field season was canceled. So we, we weren't able to travel. And so we ended up making it up this past April and we got out there and one of our coworkers that usually doesn't join us on this trip came to help. It was a lot of fun because usually um, I'm, I'm out there by myself. But this time I had a partner. We're getting things done super efficiently. Like, it was awesome. We were going to get like half of the work done before lunch. We felt great. I just finished setting up the cameras. I got everything done. And then I was working on getting the borough characteristics. And so to kind of, I guess, have a boundary, I measured 50 meters um, in a diameter from where I placed the camera. So any burrows that fell within that buffer got counted, measured, and everything like that. And so I was working through it. That particular spot had a handful of burrows, burrow openings, I should say. A ground squirrel burrow can have multiple openings. And so that was another thing that I was doing too, is, you know, trying to figure out would these two go to the same burrow. And it requires getting up close and personal. It was in the spring and I came across a burrow that was occupied. I'm going to assume it was a female. Females are aggressive during the spring when they have pups, and I was bit. Um, so what I was doing was I was measuring the diameter of the burrow with a small measuring tape, 
And whenever I put my hands close down um, over the burrow, like I didn't have my hands like down, down in it, I was, I was measuring. She was right there. <laughs> it was, mm. it was a flash, man. These ground squirrels are quick. And she ended up biting me about three times, like bam, bam, bam. Oh, um, it wasn't just one. Oh, it she was. really took so the challenge. So I was bit on my middle finger and my ring finger. The bite on the middle finger was just so perfectly placed. Like mm. my doctor described it as this magical like <laughs> storm that like probably will never happen ever again. So <laughs> it was extremely painful. Like painful. Um, yeah. Squirrels have really sharp. Um, here I'll show you. Squirrels have very sharp incisors. We're going to look at a rock squirrel. Oh, look at that. For people that are only listening and cannot see, Stephanie has produced a squirrel skull from the shelf right next to her desk. And we are looking at it and the squirrel has very, very long, sharp, curved teeth. Yep. Um, very sharp incisors. That's very painful. The bite that was on my middle finger, it managed to nick that blood vessel. So we have veins on each of our fingers that go that run either side. And she ended up getting just above the middle phallic's knuckle. And so my coworker, she was there with me. She was able to get me into the truck. We were able to get me into a clinic. They immediately gave me antibiotics. Um, they gave me a tetanus shot. So that's actually required. So if you're, if you're bit by a squirrel or a rodent, you get a tetanus shot. They were very uh, wary about giving me um, pain medication, even though I was in excruciating pain. And the thing that I haven't mentioned at this point yet is that my fingers and my hand were about double the size that they were before I got bit. So what was happening was what's known as compartment syndrome. So the arm, so arm, leg, this is known as the compartment. We have a sheath that goes around the muscle called the fascia. And what happens in compartment syndrome is that it starts squeezing. It starts squeezing. It cuts off oxygen. It cuts off blood flow. Most compartment syndrome is usually as a result of like fractures. Mine was, was the result of MRSA. MRSA is also known as the superbug. It's um, antibiotic resistant form of staph. And so what happened there is MRSA didn't come from the squirrel. I had it. I had MRSA dormant on my skin, colonized on my skin. I didn't have any symptoms. I had no idea I had it. Apparently, a lot of people can be colonized with MRSA. One in three people have it. However, you can protect yourself from MRSA by washing your hands. Mm. And so, so the compartment syndrome ended up traveling up my entire arm. Um, I had to be transferred from the clinic in Del Rio by ambulance to San Antonio, a hospital known as Methodist. So the fasciotomy is the treatment for acute um, compartment syndrome. It's that giant scar that runs from my middle finger all the way to my bicep. It cut into the fascia to relieve the compartment syndrome. Compartment syndrome, um, if left untreated, can start causing necrosis. And so that's what happened with the middle finger. Um, So the middle finger had to end up being partially amputated. So I was going through most of the year fighting this injury. And so I'm just now like getting back into the swing of things, um, my normal life. You know, when this happened, I was in the hospital for a week. I had Mm -hmm. to come home and still deal with everything. You know, as an outpatient, I was just home. That happened and that was a thing, something that I never thought would happen to me. 
And what's interesting, too, is that so many people have approached me now, like, I guess you're scared of squirrels now. And it's like, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not scared of squirrels. I still love squirrels. And I still want to be out in the field. I still want to give squirrels, you know, the recognition that they deserve. It was an unfortunate accident. And it sounded like a sort of a perfect storm of circumstances that made it it way, way, way worse than it needed to be. All that's behind me. Moving forward now, I almost kind of feel better than ever. You know, I had this experience that doesn't have to define me, but man, it really showed me how strong I am as a person. I didn't realize that I could dig that deep. I used to be always at my computer, always working, always working, always trying to figure stuff out, you know, just because I enjoy it. I was down for so long and it was just, woo, but we're here now. And so I'm, I'm glad. So that's my, that's my squirrel journey, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, horribly sorry that that happened to you. That is a traumatizing ordeal. I think it speaks a lot to your dedication to the love of animals that you could go through all that and still have that love in your heart, you know, like still find love and a joy for animals. You know, like we were talking before we hit record and you were still kind of fawning over the squirrels outside of your office door and, you know, still having love for them, even though I'm I'm sure there's still some association with this awful stage in your life. But I, I think that if, if you can still find it in your heart to love squirrels, I think that bodes well for anybody listening who may be coming into this with any sort of, I suppose, disdain for squirrels. Maybe a lot of people consider them pests or don't really feel very positively about squirrels. So for people who maybe are listening to this and are like, you know, I don't actually know that much about squirrels. What's a squirrel? Squirrels are split into two groups. We have the tree squirrels and the ground squirrels. Most people are familiar with the the tree squirrels. The big squirrel that just like everyone knows is the eastern gray squirrel. And then down in like the southeast, people are also very familiar with the fox squirrels. You know, the fox squirrels are extremely interesting tree squirrels. They have many different color morphs. They're also huge. So fox squirrels are the largest tree squirrel. Very scary <laughs> up close and personal. I mean, these are like some hefty dudes, man. <laughs> they don't play. And then we have like our tiny tree squirrels, like the red squirrels, the flying squirrels. The red squirrels are the ones with the little tufts, right? Oh, yeah, the little tufts. The ones with the the long tufts, those are the red squirrels that you see in Europe. Those are native there. We have the American red tree squirrel. Very cute as well. Very (laughs) cute. Very cute. But the squirrels that I want to talk about today are the ground squirrels. Lots of people know about the tree squirrels. Not as many know about the ground squirrels. So what makes a ground squirrel a ground squirrel? They're rodents. They're in the order Rodentia and they're in the family Skyridae. Skyridae is the squirrel family. So if you're a squirrel, tree squirrel, or ground squirrel, you're going to be in Skyridae. Ground squirrels, these are largely holarctic um, species, meaning that they're found in habitats in the nor- northern hemisphere only. Oh, I didn't know there was a word for that. That's yes, interesting. It's, it's <laughs> holarctic. Ground squirrels are often associated with hillsides, open grasslands, um, prairies, and development, actually. We'll, we'll be talking about some of the Texas species of ground squirrels that have adapted to city parks, aglands, airfields, golf courses. They do well in development. <laughs> they see all that wide open space and they're like, don't mind if I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially golf courses. Oh, ground squirrels love golf courses. 
as a group, they're omnivorous. Their diets are rich in like fungi, nuts, seeds, fruits, insects. They'll go after small animals, inverts, insects, small mammals like mice, and even small birds um, mm. and their eggs. And so it's not common, but it does happen. We'll talk about it. They are also diurnal, meaning they are only active during the daytime. On top of being diurnal, so they're limited to daylight, their activity is primarily limited by temperature extremes across their ranges. So extreme cold, extreme hot. They like that middle ground. Who doesn't? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Who doesn't? And so across their ranges, they, you know, when it gets cold, they go into hibernation or torpor. When it's hot, they will just be inactive. With all of that said, the group ground squirrels technically includes all burrowing skyrids. So squirrels that dig. And what a lot of people don't know, so that includes like the prairie dogs, the marmots, and the chipmunks. Really? Are they all technically squirrels? Mm-hmm. <gasps> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so marmots also include like woodchuck. They're also known as groundhog. So the marmots make up the heaviest ones. These things can be like 20 pounds. You know, they're huge. and so chunky. (laughs) And, and, you know, and a lot of people love marmots and know marmots like the yellow belly marmots because they sit there and scream, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's that picture. I know there's one. I swear if you Google yellow belly marmot, there's a picture of one that's sitting there and Mm -hmm. it just looks like Pooh Bear or something. Like people (laughs) love marmots. Um, same with the prairie dogs. People love prairie dogs, prairie dog towns. In Texas, we have a huge one in Lubbock. People love the prairie dogs. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have our chipmunks, which are like our micro uh, ground squirrels. I mean, these things are tiny. I live in an area where we do not have chipmunks. I guess I assumed that chipmunks lived in trees. Do they not? So that's the thing is they spend a lot of time in trees. They have burrows. Sometimes they will use, you know, hollow logs or hollow trees that are off the ground, but chipmunks will use burrows. And I think that that right there is the big definer. Another thing that... There's there's this. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, my cat just stretched in front of the webcam. And there's this butt. All right. (laughs) He's completely eclipsed the camera. (laughs) Sorry about that. So another thing that all, I guess, ground squirrels are known to do is they stand up straight on their back legs. It's the best thing in the universe. (laughs) You've seen it. You've seen it. They stand up on their hind legs. They pull their front paws, you know, close to the chest, scan the environment, scan the area. And then when a predator is spotted, they will go up on their hind legs and release trills or calls, alarm calls to warn everyone, hey, you know, there's a predator coming. Those two things are kind of their defining features is this is what makes ground squirrels ground squirrels. So we have our prairie dogs and our marmots, and then we have our chipmunks. So we have our large ones, and then we have our small ones. We have another group called the antelope squirrels. They're pretty small. Wow, I've never heard of that. Oh, antelope squirrels. Yeah, we have most people know the, the Texas antelope squirrel. They're specifically adapted to the arid southwest. So that's why a lot of people don't know about them. And then... This is my favorite part. Then we have, I guess, what people might assume are like the true ground squirrels or like when people hear the word ground squirrel, they think of these guys. So there's another group of ground squirrels that were once all grouped in a single genus and it's called Spermophilus. The genus name Spermophilus means seed lover. 
The group Spermophilus was split into eight genera. We won't go into all of them because there's a lot. (laughs) Now we're talking about ground squirrels. But what I really want to focus on are the ones that occur in the state of Texas. I'm not biased or anything because I live in San Antonio, but Texas ground squirrels is is where it's at. And now, is this like a specific species of ground squirrel? We have five. Okay. First, real quick, what makes Texas just awesome when it comes to wildlife is where it sits, first of all. It is actually split into 10 ecoregions. And so those ecoregions range from like the piney woods in, in East Texas, and then we have like um, the South Texas Plains in the Horn Tip down in Texas. We have the Edwards Plateau in Central Texas, the Trans-Pecos in Extreme West Texas, and each one of these ecoregions are unique for the state, and because of these ecoregions, our wildlife diversity is pretty rich. We have five species, the Rio Grande ground squirrel, the 13-lined ground squirrel, which those two are closely related. They share the same genus. We have the spotted ground squirrel, the rock squirrel, and then the Texas antelope squirrel all occur in Texas, prairie dogs and chipmunks are pretty much described as their own groups. Like you don't really come across many people that will group like chipmunks and prairie dogs in with the typical definition of ground squirrel. Sure. Taxonomy by vibes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Hi there. We're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to get into our ratings for ground squirrels. So stay tuned. I'm John Moe. My show Depression Mode is all about mental health. And this week, I talked with Amanda Knox. She spent four years in an Italian prison for a murder she didn't commit. That's a lot of trauma, and she's okay talking about it. If I touch on something that you'd rather not get into, just say so, we'll cut the whole exchange out. But it also seems like you're pretty open (laughs) open about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am having trouble imagining anything that you could talk to me about (laughs) that I... I know. What are we going to throw Amanda Knox with? (laughs) Depression Mode with John Moe, only on Maximum Fun. For over a decade, MaxFunCon has been an incredible weekend of learning, connecting, and laughing with folks in the MaxFun community. And, if all goes according to plan, the last regularly scheduled MaxFunCon will take place in Lake Arrowhead from June 3rd to June 5th, 2022. We have a very limited number of tickets remaining. To make them available to the maximum number of people, We'll be opening our waitlist for tickets on January 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. That'll be your chance to be first in line to purchase tickets, and we'll go down the waitlist until we're at capacity. More details at maxfuncon.com. And mark your calendars for Sunday, January 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. So, if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, uh, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. So, first category is effectiveness. This is how well the animal is adapted physically to do what it's trying to do, things that are built into the animal's body. What would you give the Texas ground squirrels for effectiveness out of 10? Texas ground squirrels are a little bit different than ground squirrels that are found in more northern reaches of their ranges. Because it's argued if all of them are not obligate hibernators. So one of them is the 13 line ground squirrel is an obligate hibernator. It is known to go under during the winter, but the other ones will go into hibernation or are not even like real hibernation. They'll go into torpor, which is a period of time where the body slows 
like the, the metabolism, the heart rate, the body temperature, everything slows for the animal for an extended period of time. And then they will come out of torpor when conditions are suitable again. We all go through a little bit of torpor every once <laughs> yeah, in a while. Same. <laughs> so I actually want to talk about the, the 13 lined ground squirrel real quick. 13 lines are the second smallest um, ground squirrel in Texas. They are related to Rio Grande ground squirrels. They're in the genus Ictodomius. 13 lions are readily distinguished out in the field because they, just as the name describes, they have 13 lines or 13 rows of patterns down the back. So these guys sleep most of their year. They have been reported to go into hibernation for up to 240 days. Oh, that's most of the days. (laughs) That's most of the days. So they'll enter hibernation in the in the late summer to early fall. And so like they were born that year and then they, they follow their parents uh you know about a month later into hibernation. And so yeah, they'll remain under and won't come out until around late winter, early spring. So think like late February, early March. So they're under from late summer all the way around to the following spring. Sleep your problems away, baby. <laughs> I know. I know. And and then when they emerge about a week or two later is their breeding season. Well, because they go under for so long, their breeding season is actually super short. Like, they have to get it done. So 13 lion ground squirrels are commonly seen in the panhandle of Texas. But what's super interesting about these guys is... Their distribution is limited to short grass prairies, and they don't really utilize tall grass. However, the existence of ag land has allowed them to continue having stable populations and being able to use tall grasses because of the overgrazing. So, you know, when you think of ag land, you think of overgrazing, and it's like, this is not good. But for several species of ground squirrel, that those supply very important resources for them. It's kind of just mowing their lawn for them. I know. Like, this is great. Thank you for helping us. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And what's crazy about these guys, too, is, you know, ground squirrels are rodents. They're not very long-lived. I mean, in the wild, we're talking about two, three years tops. But for this species, about 90% of pups don't make it. Oh, no. Yeah. So if they're able to make it to at least emerging from the den and being able to be weaned and then eventually reaching sexual maturity, they generally will make it. They'll, I mean... You're home free. Yep. That is quite the rite of passage. Yeah, and then you live to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Who among us would not choose that lifestyle, though? That sounds great. That's one extreme The other extreme can come from rock squirrels and antelope squirrels. So rock squirrels, they go into torpor. They're not obligate hibernators. So they're speculative hibernators, meaning they go into hibernation only when cold stressed or when like resources are deprived or or So it's like, for example, let's take the winter storm that hit Texas earlier this year. Rock squirrels are very common in San Antonio. In fact, we, I have um, a burrow, like an active burrow that's, I'm looking at it right now. So let's take that winter storm. It Snow just dumped. And while a little bit of snow wouldn't be so bad, we're in San Antonio. We're, the climate here, the animals here, the snow is 
No. And then we take a week of extremely heavy snowfall. And so, yeah, these rock squirrels were like, nope. And they decided to go into torpor and they stayed in their dens until conditions are suitable. And so what's interesting about that is that's response driven instead of like seasonal. So right. your your obligate hibernator, the 13 line ground squirrel, it's going to go under, you know, with the season. But like rock squirrels, they are like, okay, things suck right now. <laughs> I don't want to do this. So I'm just going to go to sleep. They can read the room a little bit. <laughs> yes. And the thing about rock squirrels too is that they will prepare. So they build up fat reserve. So they're about 600 to 800 grams. These guys can pack on an additional 200 grams to prepare for cold extremes for winter. And then further on this extreme, we have the Texas antelope squirrel. Antelope squirrels, they're extremely adapted to arid. They're, they're known as high desert species. They are the only ground squirrels that will continue to remain active during the heat extremes of midday during like us. Texas summer day. Real troopers. (laughs) Oh yeah, they are. Well, what most squirrels do is that they will be active in the mornings and they'll be active in the evenings, but then they will go into their burrows during the heat of like midday. Antelope ground squirrels will remain active, but they do have a funny little behavior that helps them out. So whenever it's hot, they've been out there, they'll go and find a shaded rocky area. And I believe cat owners call this spalooting, (laughs) where they will lay on their bellies and extend their back legs like all the way out and they'll just lay there. And what they're doing (laughs) is that's getting rid of that excess heat that they've accumulated and that keeps them like in a safe body temperature. And then when all that extra heat is gone, they can then go and resume their activities until they get overheated again. They'll go and find another shade spot, splute, and uh, <laughs> rinse, repeat. That's so funny. I've seen like pictures of them doing this, and I had no idea it was like for a specific reason. I thought it was just super comfortable. <laughs> yeah. And so because they have this behavior and this ability to do this, and not to mention that they can go a while without water. Antelope ground squirrels actually eat a ton of succulents for that water resource. They do not hibernate, like, at all. They may go into torpor. Um, like, for example, the winter storm did hit West Texas, where antelope ground squirrels are from. Yeah, they got dumped with snow, too. And so those antelope ground squirrels um, then retreated into their dens and went into torpor. But the funny thing about hibernation, it really depends on the range. Um, South Texas is this magical place where none of the squirrels, none of the squirrels will enter hibernation. It's all squirrels all the time, baby. There's squirrels (laughs) all year round. But everywhere else in Texas, either they will enter torpor or they will enter hibernation as conditions allow. In my project that I was on whenever I got it, there was no winter activity. Um, mm-hmm. Then again, whenever we did go, it was it was super, super windy. I think it was like 20 to 25 mile per hour winds. It was like a high of like 45 degrees. It was wow. just not cool weather. What was funny is all the burrows that I came across were actually plugged with grasses. So they mm. what they did is they pulled grasses into the burrow opening to act as like a wind plug. Oh, they were, they were shuttered up. Rock squirrels are known to position their burrow openings towards the north. 
so that they can avoid like heat extremes and windfall. So rock squirrels are also a bit picky where they put their burrows and they'll put their burrows near washes or riparian areas. They also angle them along cliff sides and rocky areas and it's thought that that helps with like drainage so like they're not being flooded during heavy rains and and whatnot so for effectiveness where we've talked about hibernation and how their dens are positioned i mean if you get to choose when you're gonna sleep and you know well i'm not wasting time that's pretty effective to me (laughs) yeah for sure I'm going to score that pretty high. I'm going to score them about nine. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I mean, rock squirrels, not biased, even though they're my favorites. They're pretty efficient in how, in how they do life. I think we're going to talk about behavior. We're going to yeah. get down and dirty into some rock squirrel behavior. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Okay, so the second category we rate our animals on is ingenuity, which for us is behavior. So things the animal is doing um, with their body to give themselves an edge in life, I suppose. What do you give your ground squirrels for ingenuity? So ground squirrels in general, they can be solitary, but for the most part, they are decently social or at least colonial. They form these aggregations and but then you have rock squirrels. <laughs> so rock squirrels, where do I even start? So not only are they social, dense populations of them are organized as maternal aggregations. So basically you have colonies that are cheaply made up of females, one dominant male that kind of like these are mine, and mm. then you have these lower level subordinate males that kind of defend the outer reaches, like the peripheral areas of the colony. And so what happens here is it's all polygamy. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> this this dominant squirrel fights for breeding rights with the females. So he is going to let juveniles and females be in the same space as him pretty regularly. He does not mind them. He, in fact, he likes them. They're okay. And females are docile towards each other. Like, there's barely any, like, female-female aggression. In fact, whenever you see rock squirrels, like, perfect example is at the San Antonio Zoo. So San Antonio Zoo is super awesome because it is known for having what are known as open exhibits. So the zoo is built on the back of limestone. So the the exhibits, they don't have like gates and stuff in their exhibits because it's limestone. It's awesome. Y'all should y'all should Google like the San Antonio <laughs> Zoo infrastructure. It's awesome. But because they're against limestone cliff sides and cliff faces, a lot of times you'll see multiple individuals together and they'll be like sitting or they'll be resting or they'll be eating. Those are females. And then you have your dominant male that will chase off these lesser males. And whenever a dominant male makes contact with a subordinate male, what they'll do first is they'll kind of shove each other around with their sides. So the side of the squirrel, you know, is called the flank. And what they'll do is they'll like shove each other like super hard (laughs) with their flanks. Well, if the conflict is resolved by body pushing, they'll start entering jujitsu. So it's this, (laughs) they have these rolling matches where they'll grab each other and they literally will roll around in like the dirt and on the ground and like hold on to each other and like (laughs) bite each other and scratch each other and like hold on to each other. And it literally looks like a jujitsu match. Oh my gosh. They're in a full grapple. (laughs) Yeah, full grapple. 
And so you can oftentimes, especially during like getting close into the breeding season, you can tell which squirrels are males because they'll have like injuries on their heads and their faces oh. and along their sides from grappling. But they don't even stop there. Courtship between the dominant male and all of his ladies is so very cute. So what happens is when they make contact with each other, it's usually like first it's nose to nose. You know, they'll give each other like little nose kisses. I'm already here for it. <laughs> very cute. And then the male will like pet the female <gasps> on the head with like his paws, like stroke her and pet her. Incredible. <laughs> very cute. And rock squirrels have anal glands, glands that are positioned right under the tail. The male will then stick his nose in those glands. And that's when you know the female is receptive or not. When she's receptive, she'll lift her tail and oh. act interested. She says, here you go. Don't mind I know, if I and do. the male is all like, woo-hoo-hoo, let's get this <laughs> on. And then she's like, nope. She'll resist him. She'll throw him off, and then she'll run straight into her burrow because she wants the male to chase her into the burrow. <gasps> she's playing hard to get. Well, once they're in the burrow, she's not that hard to get. But they just, it's like they want privacy. And, mm. like, there's been, like, observations of, like, subordinate males that have gotten lucky to have tried to be frisky with a female. And she'll just, like, butt him off. She resists him and, like, stays far away from him. And she won't go into her burrow. Oh, so that's the signal. Yeah. So going into the burrow is I've accepted. And when it comes to mating with ground squirrels, it's very private. It's it's in the burrow. It's not out in the open. It's always happening in the privacy of the bedroom. They're very modest. <laughs> they, they are. I think rock squirrels have the most interesting mating behavior. The other interesting mating behavior comes from spotted ground squirrels. I haven't mentioned them yet. They're actually the smallest of our ground squirrels. Not much is known about their breeding, but so these guys are super fast and they'll run up to females near their burrows and it's been described as like a frenzy like so males will run up to her and make her go into like this alert posture. It's just back and forth. It'll happen multiple times. It'll happen repeatedly. After doing the like alert posture, like, oh, you know, what are you doing? She will then eventually enter the burrow. The male will follow and um, the rest is a love story. So she's like the belle of the ball. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're very touchy. They communicate a lot with touch, but they also communicate a lot with sound. You know, ground squirrels are known to stand upright and make those alert calls. All ground squirrels have unique calls. Sometimes it's described as like a mellow trill, sometimes like a harsh whistle. Going back to the spotted ground squirrel, they actually do this display that's really well known. They'll stand upright on their back legs and alternate stomping their feet. And they'll do it. It's like they're marching in place. It's it's so cute. It's tippy taps. It is. It is. And it's actually been seen and observed whenever like bull snakes investigate the burrow. So whenever bull snakes are coming up and they're acting interested, you know, these spotted ground squirrels will hop up on their back legs and do their little stomp um, to let the other squirrels know, hey, there's a bull snake in this area. So for this score, I just love rock squirrels so much and <laughs> I just love their behaviors so much. I'm going to give this one a 10 out of 10. 
That is really fascinating. I love when animals have like sophisticated ways that they interact with each other, you know, because I feel like that kind of gives you an advantage when you're not flying solo, you know, you've got kind of a community to rely on. You know, and it's pretty common for a lot of your, I guess, your short-lived species, you know, like rodents. Um, If y'all listened to the previous episode with Nate, he talked about vampire bats, but one of the things that he mentioned was that bats for their body size are extremely long-lived, you know, and then now we have an episode about other (laughs) small mammals, rodents, that live two, three years. In captivity, they'll live a lot longer, about five, seven, seven years, but yeah, very short-lived. So being colonial and like basically having each other's backs it's the way to do it when you're a ground squirrel and even even the ones that are pretty solitary they still form these aggregations i was saying on the land that i was doing my project on there are tons of them now their burrows were spaced efficiently you know and these animals will become social during the breeding season but for the most part they mostly did their own thing but they will still call if there's danger in the area like you know hey you're my neighbor we don't talk very much but just to let you know there's a snake uh, and so you know be safe <laughs> it's a little bit of a neighborhood watch program yeah neighborhood watch <laughs> what an intricate little world that they're living <laughs> oh tons oh i love it i love it so much yeah absolutely so since we were kind of fawning over how adorable their their love languages are <laughs> Let's talk aesthetics for the ground squirrel. This is very self-explanatory. This is just how nice is this animal to look at? What do you give them out of 10 for aesthetics? I've been waiting for this one because (laughs) I'm about to let y'all know, like, as cute and adorable as they are, ground squirrels, man. (laughs) So to look at, very cute. You know, they're, they're mostly small. The rock squirrel is about as big as like an Eastern gray. You know, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty large, but I mean, gosh, they're cute. Ground squirrels have super small ears. And the reason why they're small is because they're digging, right? They're digging. All of them have like a really cute eye ring. So it kind of looks like they wear makeup. A nice smoky eye going on. A smoky eye. (laughs) And then they also have very lovely pattering. So rock squirrels, for example, especially in like central to south Texas, rock squirrels are mostly black. So they'll have this black head and these black shoulders and kind of going down the back. And then eventually will become like this mottled brown to gray. Very cute. It looks like they're wearing like a jacket or something. They're so (laughs) cute. It's their boyfriend's hoodie. It's the boyfriend hoodie, and like <laughs> I guess it's 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 kind of weird for me to like this, but I like their little toes and like their little claws. I yes. love their little feet. Absolutely, they're they're so cute, and so they have these thick claws too. You know to dig, you know, and it's basically it's, it's a cute fluffy squirrel. I mean, it and everyone's just like, oh, they're so cute, but it's it's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. They're very cute, but it's a lie. Ground squirrels are incredible incredibly aggressive defenders of their dens. I was bit. I don't want to say that I was messing around with the den because I was doing research. I was trying to collect data, but to the squirrel, I was a threat and she was going to let me know, I do not like you here. And so ground squirrels have very interesting anti-predator behavior. Um, again, we're going to talk about rock squirrels again. <laughs> rock squirrels are a great example of it because what they'll do is whenever they encounter like a rattlesnake, their tail will go erect and they'll wave that tail from side to side to harass 
they'll even throw like sticks and rocks oh my at, the, at the snake. And sometimes they'll attack it. Like, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to attack you now. Call their bluff. <laughs> yeah. So brave enough to attack a rattlesnake. I should have mentioned this earlier. They can neutralize rattlesnake venom. So very efficient. So on top of the alarm calls, um, rock squirrels will attack and throw things at snakes. And this is the best part. <laughs> Rock squirrels have been documented taking down small chickens and young turkeys. Wild turkeys. Gobble, gobble. Wild turkeys. (laughs) And turkeys are not small. (laughs) So, yeah, like, we're thinking, like, juvenile turkeys. Not like a full-blown adult like Tom, but, like, a juvenile. And the Rio Grande ground squirrel have been observed, like, sneaking into chicken coops and killing people's chickens. So it's not just snakes and foxes that do it. Ground squirrels can do it, too. It's the ones you least suspect. (laughs) I know. know. They'll eat small animals, uh, lizards, small snakes. They've been known to take um, songbirds, like ground foraging sparrows. They will also take bird eggs. Some species, I believe it was the Texas antelope squirrel, was observed taking out, like, kangaroo rats. Oh, my gosh. Those things are tough. These are these are animals that have diets that are chiefly green vegetation, like fruits, like legumes, uh, cactus fruits, berries, uh, seeds, acorns. And then it's like, oh, here's a kangaroo rat. <laughs> Go get that one. They also eat carrion, so they'll eat, like, you can see them on the side of the roads, sometimes partaking in roadkill. It's a free meal. They need protein. A good amount of their protein comes from insects. They're great natural defense against grasshoppers, beetles, caterpillars, any of those, like, typical crop pests. Apparently, you know, and occasionally when the opportunity arises, they'll go after small animals. And when I say small animals... They're a small animal. They're taking out animals that are either comparable to their size or even bigger. So baby turkeys. Hello. You know, and so it's crazy. And I love I love telling people, yeah, that cute little ground squirrel, if it wanted to, it could totally take out take out a juvenile turkey. Though they be but little, they are fierce. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Vicious, vicious defenders of what they believe is theirs. Like, you know, the rock squirrels, they tear each other up in those fights. I mean, I've seen, I've seen some about the zoo that's just like, ooh, man, you picked the wrong day to try to challenge the dominant male. They, they have to be. Uh, They're they're prey species. They have to be. And so, you know, when people are shocked, like, oh my gosh, a ground squirrel is responsible for all that damage. It's like, yeah. You have to respect the hustle of a little animal with a big attitude. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and they're, they make up the diet of so many predators. I mean, um, I haven't looked at the paper in full. It's a pretty big paper. But it was, it was looking at hawks and the food items that they give to chicks in the nest. And apparently, like, up to 75, 80% of chick diet is ground squirrels. And that's super crucial for the beginning life stages of these animals, of yeah. hawks. You know, and, and other other predators, too, of course. You have your coyotes. You have foxes. Uh, skunks. Skunks can rely on heavy populations of ground squirrels. Raccoons. Snakes. So, yeah, they're very, very, very cute. And it's like... Just want to squeeze them. They're so cute, but ruthless. So I think that should give them like 
a huge squirrel on their own because yeah. they're it's like they're deceiving you. Like, look how cute I am. <laughs> I'm gonna go attack this rattlesnake now. <laughs> it's bothering me. Be right back. So you know, you gotta be scrappy when you're little. Yes. So I'm gonna score them high. I know I'm biased, but I'm gonna score them probably a ten out of ten. That's a slam dunk. <laughs> really, really cute. But you gotta watch out. <laughs> Deceptively cute. <laughs> I think I'm right there with you. I do think they're absolutely adorable. And um, I hope that anybody listening, if they did come into this with any disdain for whether it's rodents in general or or squirrels in general, I I hope that we've maybe won some people over, at least gotten people to see their perspective a little bit, you know, see their, see the squirrel side of the story and maybe grow to empathize with them a little bit more. So before we sign off for today, I wanted you to let people know like where people can follow along with what you're up to and what kind of stuff you're working on right now that you want people to know about or where people can follow you just things like that yeah yeah so um other than you know what happened to me you know with the marissa story and um you know of course my love for specifically rock squirrels um, a lot of people on Twitter know me as the Texas Mammal Skull person. So I have a collection, personal collection, that has been sustainably sourced, all very legal, um, allowable skulls to have. I think I'm up to 34 Texas, specifically Texas species, so species that are native to Texas. And so because I'm very invested in, in like, mammal skulls, and that goes for like identification, education, you know, collecting. My Twitter handle is related to that. So it's craniatology. It's a play on words for craniate head and an ology. Decently active, active on Twitter. I discuss a lot about urban wildlife. Um, I live in San Antonio, but up against one of the natural areas. So San Antonio, huge city and however it has corridors of natural areas that are dominated by southern live oak and um, juniper trees of some people call them mountain cedars these little pockets of natural areas are super important to urban wildlife and so literally like i'm looking (laughs) i'm looking outside of my office sliding glass door and right there's the natural area at any point in time i can see squirrels birds urban deer foxes possums, raccoons, you name it. And so I always tweet about the wildlife that I do see. I tweet pictures. I I do have a camera. I'm no photographer. I point (laughs) and shoot, but I try my very best. Um, I do have feeders that um, I do have out for the winter season. So if you don't follow me yet um, and want to follow me and get some some good bird footage, we get cardinals, northern cardinals, black-crested titmice, Carolina chickadees and Buicks and um, Carolina wrens on the regular. I always post mm-hmm. photos. Two cats tweet a lot about my cats. <laughs> um, we actually have trained our cats to walk on a harness and leash. And so um, every day we go on adventure walks in the natural area. I uh, tweet a lot of photos about that. So yeah, find me on Twitter at Craniotology. As for things that I'm doing now, um, <laughs> I know it sounds just after the year that we've had, but right now I'm just trying to trying to get through, trying to make it. I'm back at work already on several projects. Everyone that I'm on teams with right now that I'm doing projects with have been um, so very patient with me 
Um, cause even though I'm back at work, it's still not a hundred percent. Like right. I, I have days where it's just like, Oh, you know, I don't feel good. You know, I just, there's lingering effects and I'm still in and out of doctor's appointments. I'm still, you know, being monitored pretty regularly by my team, you know? And so, yes, I'm, I'm good and I feel good. I'm back to my normal activities like running. I'm back to like hiking and stuff like that. I'm back to work. But it's just one step at a time. It will get easier, of course. I'm already six six months, you know, since it happened. And I've learned so much, not only about myself, but I've learned a lot about what happened to me, really. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many journal articles that I've read, like, from the Journal of Medicine. And so if, you're, if you guys are interested in any of that, you can reach out on Twitter. There's also so much information floating out there, you know, scientific information, because while it is uncommon, it's not rare. I, I, I believe that everyone should at least get educated, if not already, about, you know, MRSA, kind of, you know, steps that you can take. I recommend that if you have, like, a primary care physician that you, you know, go and see, like, annually or whatnot, ask if it's possible to get a MRSA test. Because even if you test positive and you're not having symptoms, it can be treated, you know, you know, stay on top of that. Wash your hands, everyone. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. I actually wash my hands um, once a day in what's known as Hibby Cleanse. It's a super strong antibacterial soap. You can find it online. You know, I admit before the pandemic, I wasn't as careful as I am now about like touching a surface, touching my face. You know, it's just like it, I was really, really bad about it. And like wearing the masks and every day, you know, in and out has really taught me, okay, hands away from my face. And so even though this did happen, I don't want it to be like a scary thing. Or MRSA does not need to be scary, but you need to know, you know, what it is and what you can do to mitigate it and what you can do to keep yourself safe. Be mindful. Be mindful of your hands is really, that's, that's it. Absolutely. This has been so much, such a fun experience. And so and I'm so glad that I've been able to uh, participate on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for, like you said earlier, for digging in deep and being so strong and, and brave throughout this whole ordeal, but also for maintaining that same level of like passion and enthusiasm for the science behind squirrels and advocating for squirrels. Just and, and thank you for coming and sharing that with us. I hope that anybody listening comes away with that same sense of passion and enthusiasm for squirrels. Um, so thank you so much for joining today, Stephanie, and we will talk to you later. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that next time you see a little squirrel scampering around on the ground, you feel a sense of appreciation and respect for their considerable hustle. If you liked what you heard today, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a good review on your podcatcher, like Dandelion Dreams Podcast, who left such a lovely review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. You can connect with us on social media or shoot us an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about. We would like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones you've heard promos for here today. You can check them out and learn more about the network at MaximumFun.org. While you're there, it would be awesome if you signed up for a membership to support us and the rest of the shows on the network. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible theme music. That's all we've got for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.